This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama, with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed for you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. You are lost in a London fog. Uncertain whether the figures looming around you are real or creatures of your imagination. And somewhere in the wet grayness lurks a murderer from whom you must escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a fog-shrouded city and the terror of a shell-shocked mine, as Algernon Blackwood describes them in his ghostly story, Confession. There was no doubt about it. The woman was dead. Her cheek was cold to my touch. The head of the long, sharp hat pen protruded from her breast above the heart. She was dead. Murdered. And I stood there by the bed, my brain whirling crazily. I was alone in an empty house with a murdered woman. And then suddenly fear flashed across my brain and cleared it. I heard the door below open and close. Footsteps. Someone was coming across the downstairs hall, onto the stairs, coming up, up here. In a moment, I would be discovered. In a moment, someone would walk into this room and see me standing over the body. In a moment, my escape would be cut off. Quickly, I slipped across the hall and into another of the empty bedrooms. I leaned against the closed door, breathing heavily, listening to those steps come closer. Would he look into any of the other bedrooms first? Would I be discovered here? He passed my door and went into the room, straight in, closed the door behind him. Then he knew where to come. I waited a moment, waited for some sound, some gasp of discovery. There was none. Then he knew what to expect. I must escape quickly before he came out of that room. I started down the stairs, carefully, to avoid any sound. And suddenly the door of that room opened. The beam of a flashlight searched down the hall. I took the stairs three at a time, burst open the front door, and fled into the street, fled into the sanctuary of the fog. How long and how far I ran, I do not know. I... I could see nothing, feel nothing but the clammy dampness of the fog. I don't know whether he was still following me or not. I ran out of sheer terror, up one street, down another, with no idea of where I was or where I was going. Perhaps I was running in circles. Perhaps I would run right back to the house. Well, I stopped. 
I leaned heavily against the wall. My hands were shaking as I raised them to my perspiring face. I held them there to steady them. Ran them through my wet hair. My hat. I didn't have it. I'd left my hat back there in that room. On the bed beside that dead woman. And it had my initials in it. Nearby, a street lamp formed a fuzzy ball of yellow in the enveloping murk. And now a figure loomed suddenly beneath it, just as she had materialized so short a time ago under another streetlight. Or was it the same one? Was it she again? Was it he, the one who was following me? Was it real at all? Perhaps it was only a creature of my madness. My dear sir, you're ill. I... Oh, hero, uh... let me help you. Why, you're almost ready to fall. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, just lean on my arm. Yes. You are real, aren't you? Real? I don't understand. I say, you're very near collapse, you know. And I happen to be a doctor. Luckily, too, you're just outside my very house. Come in for a moment, won't you? Why, I... You're very kind. Uh, Yes, I will, if it's... Not too much trouble for you? None at all, my dear chap. Please do. Within five minutes, I was seated in a comfortable chair before a toasting fire, sipping a hot cup of tea. I could feel my nerves relaxing, but the traces of my illness must have been clear on my face because my host observed... Your trouble is shell shock, isn't it? Why... Yes, how did you know? I've been in the service, and I'm a doctor. Of course, I I only meant I'm supposed to be recovered, or almost. But I got lost in the fog, felt ill suddenly. Terrified, you know. I know. You should never have been out on a night like this. If you've got far to go, you better let me put you up. You're very kind, very kind indeed, but I don't want to be in any trouble. No trouble at all. I'd like to be of help. It's the least we veterans can do for each other. Oh, the blasted war. Thank goodness it's over. You're not English, are you? No, Canadian. I haven't been demobilized yet. I'm still in the army hospital at Regent's Park under the care of Dr. Henry. Ah, yes, yes. Very good man. I'd say he's done well by you. Up till tonight, I mean. Yes. Of course, we had no idea there would be a fog. I I still get in a panic when I feel all alone. Well, that's usual, but then... There was something more than that tonight, wasn't there? What do you mean? Simply that you've had rather a severe shock quite recently, haven't you? How how did you know that? My dear chap, I'm a doctor. My business to know. You were in much too agitated a state when I found you for me to suppose it could have been done simply by the fog. And uh, if I may hazard another guess... I should say it would be a relief to you, and, and wise as well, if you could unburden yourself to someone who would understand. Am I not right? Someone who would understand? That's just it. I doubt if there is anyone like that. It's so incredible. Oh, the more incredible, the greater your need to tell it. Repression in cases like yours can be dangerous, as, as you must know. You think you've hidden it, but it bides its time and it comes up later causing a lot of trouble. Confession, you know. Confession is good for the soul. Yes, I suppose you are right. But it is so wildly unbelievable. Since we're strangers, my belief or disbelief can make no difference. And I think I can promise you in advance that I shall believe all you have to say. Well, I've got to tell somebody about it soon anyway. I... So a cigarette uh, to help with telling? Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'd better start back at the very beginning of the adventure, then. It started today at the sanitarium. I've been there for some months, and today, when Dr. Henry called to check on me, I knew... Well, young man, to... you're as fit as a prize heifer and twice as frisky. The diet here must agree with you. I have no complaints, Doctor, but if I'm well again, then I'd like to get back into circulation. Will you listen to him, nurse, rushing things as usual? You'd think he didn't like us here. <laughs> oh, the way he bothers us to let him go into town, I'm sure of it, Doctor. He's getting so healthy, he's bursting at the seams. There, you see? How about it, Doctor? 
Can't I just have a day or an evening in town? What's the great attraction in that dirty place? Some girl, no doubt? Well, yes, that is in a way. I, I met her in France. She's a Red Cross girl. She's invited me to stop in for tea if I'm up in London. And, well, it's just that I'd, I'd feel human again, seeing a girl having tea, a cigarette, chatting... That's all. Young man, I not only approve of your day in town, I'm prescribing it. It'll do you good. You've got to start getting used to society again anyway. And you think I can manage it alone? Why not? You get around the neighborhood by yourself well enough, don't you? There's nothing so very different about London. Certainly nothing to be afraid of. No, of course not. Uh, call the young lady and find out the directions, where to get off the underground, what turns to take and so on. Uh, go in the daytime, return before dark. No danger of getting lost. Should be simple. Nothing to it. Do you good. Then this means I'm getting better. I'll be able to go home soon? There you go. Rushing things again. But yes, I think perhaps we're on the last leg. Oh, uh, that'll be all, nurse. Yes, Dr. Henry. Now, tell me, young man, what about your friends? No, doctor. I think they've deserted me. I don't see them anymore. No more ghosts. No more dead comrades stopping in for a chat. Good. For how long now? Oh, several weeks at least. I can hardly remember when I last saw one. Thought you saw <laughs> Yes, thought. Of course, in the dark room at night, sometimes the uh, that's shadows... That's not quite are... the same thing. Lots of well people fancy they see the shadows move at night. Especially after they've been reading some penny dreadful. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. Uh, at any rate, you can distinguish between the real people and the unreal now. And that's a big step, considering how you were a few months ago. Well, it's only when I feel completely alone, cut off, that the old panic begins a little, but not as much as before. Many people don't like to feel alone and cut off, but they can fight down that panicky feeling, nip it in the bud. And so will you in time. But I must warn you, a severe shock could undo all our work. By all means, avoid shock. <laughs> Avoid shock, he said. Very funny, isn't it? But who could have known then what would happen? How could I have suspected as I went about planning my day in town, my holiday? I called the girl, arranged our tea party. I was to be at her little house in Morley Place at four. So easy to find the first time. With your Canadian backwoods instinct, she'll probably manage it better than any Londoner. <laughs> yes, I'm sure I will. It's near South Kensington Station, then. You'd change at Piccadilly Circus yes. without leaving the underground station and come to South Ken. That's three streets left from there, then two right, one more left, and right again into Morley Place. It's really not far. Oh, I'll find it all right. Now, don't go to any great bother. Oh, you just leave that to me. This is a special occasion, you know. Till four, then. Until four, yes. Thanks. <laughs> And so it all started out as a cheerful adventure. And everything went well into the city. I made my change underground at Piccadilly, took the local to South Kensington Station. And there I came up at surface again. And when I walked out, I stepped into a solid, opaque blanket of white fog. I could hear the traffic, the rumble of the city around me. I could hear footsteps, an occasional muffled voice, but I could see almost nothing. This is how a blind man feels then. The only objects of relief from that dreadful enveloping gray wall were an occasional blur of yellow from a street lamp or a motor car headlight, a glimmering patch from some big lighted shop window here and there, and the figures, the figures of other people passing by, dark and floating and indistinct. Or were they people? Might they not be those phantom figures again, just like the ones that haunted me before I went into the sanitarium? Ghostly, blurred figures of dead comrades from Dunkirk and Abbeville and the mud of Belgium. Ah, here comes another one. I can hear his cane tapping. Look closely now, make sure. There. He looked real enough, didn't he? They are real. I'm positive of it. And I'm not alone. They're all around me. 
But even as I told myself this, the old panic was growing inside. Here now, old fellow, you've got to get hold of yourself. Next one comes along, speak up. Speak up to him. Ask him the way to Molly Place. Ask, can you put me on the trail to Molly Place? Just like that. You'll see. Here now. Here he comes. Ask the way. Beg pardon. Can you put me on... I say, is this right to the tube station, do you know? I'm utterly lost. I want South Kensington. Why, why, yes, I have just come from there. Straight along, I think. Oh, thanks awfully. Oh, but I say, can you put me on the trail to... Morley, please? He's gone. Well, no matter, he was real enough. He spoke up like a real person, all right. Maybe the next... Oh, I say, I beg your pardon. Oh, I'm frightfully sorry. I, I didn't see you and you standing still. I'm afraid I, I must be lost. Can you direct me to Morley, please? Oh, dear, I, I think you've missed your turning. You, you'll have to double back a street and maybe two and take the first turn to the right and go one street and then double back two and then left again on your party. I say thanks. That was first right and then... She's gone. Disappeared. Like a ghost. The panic was rising in me. They were real people, yes, but they appeared and disappeared so disconcertingly quickly. And when I turned off down the main street, there, there were fewer of them. I turned again and again. But I couldn't remember the directions. Suddenly, I, I knew I was lost. And now I was in some little backwater where passers-by were rare, where no one came, where I was alone. Now the panic swept over me. I stumbled on a curb. My cane swept empty air. I fell to the icy pavement. I was shaking so that I couldn't rise to my feet. I crawled across the open space of the street on my hands and knees. Only when I crossed the curb and felt a warm wall could I stand up again. And then I stood there, shaken and frantic. Molly Place must be very close, the little Red Cross girl waiting with her warm fire and hot tea. But where? Where? Suddenly, in the yellow blur of the nearest street lamp, a faint darkening of the fog caught my eye. It was not a figure this time. Only the shadow of the pole, grotesquely magnified. No. No, it moved. It came toward me. It was a figure. A woman. It came right up to me. Fear gripped me, and then I remembered the doctor's advice. Don't ignore them. Treat them as real. Speak to them and go with them. You will soon prove their unreality then, and they will leave you. And so I gripped the wall behind me and spoke to her. Lost your way like myself, haven't you, ma'am? Do you know where we are at all? Morley Place, I'm looking for. Where am I? Well, I say you're more frightened than I am. Uh, may I help you? I'm lost. I've lost myself. I can't find my way back. Same here. I'm terrified of being alone, too. I've had shell shock, you know. Uh, let's go together. We'll find our way together, eh? Who are you? Name's O'Reilly, Canadian. I'm going to have tea with a friend in Morley Place. Uh, what's your address? Do you know the name of the street here? I came out suddenly. Unexpectedly. I can't find my way home again. Just when I was expecting him oh, to... I say steady, ma'am. He may be there now, waiting for me at this very moment. And I can't get back. Have you any idea of the direction, ma'am? Any at all? We'll go together. Listen. And... I hear him calling. I remember. Wait, ma'am. Wait. Don't leave me here alone. I'm going with you. Wait. She was running fast through the fog. It was all I could do to keep up with her. But I felt I must not lose her or my own nerves would go to pieces. How she found her way in the fog, running so quickly, I didn't know, but I kept close on my heels, running hard. I could smell a faint perfume in the air trailing behind her. A faintly familiar odor, but not pleasant. And then suddenly she stopped and turned into the gate, so suddenly that I almost bumped into her. Oh, <laughs> is this in? You found it then. Uh, may I come in with you for a moment? Perhaps you'll let me telephone my doctor. Doctor? Yes, Dr. Henry at the Army Hospital. I'm in his care, you know. My home is somewhere here. I'm near it. I must get back in time for him. I must. He's coming to me. I, I say, ma'am. 
But she turned and walked toward the house. For a moment I hesitated. This woman was acting very strangely. But no matter, she was at least real and I needed help. Quickly I followed her up the steps across the porch. The door was ajar. She slipped through and I followed into the dark house. It was so dark inside I couldn't see anything at first. I, I stopped, groping. But she went on quickly, easily, as if she knew the way. She was ignoring me completely. I heard her steps cross the hall, go up the stairs quickly. I waited and listened. She walked along the hall upstairs. Where? Oh, where is he? I must find him. And now the hair on my neck felt as if it were rising. Was she, after all, another of my figures? Was she unreal, too? Oh, at last, I found it. I'm home again. I heard her open a door upstairs, go in and close it after her. Then there was silence, profound silence. And I was alone in a dark, unoccupied house. The white-covered furniture in the hallway loomed like ghosts. And there was no sound. I felt my panic coming back. But she was upstairs. And at least she was companionship. I groped my way up the stairs along the upstairs hall. There was no sign of life. Where are you? I want to help you. Which room are you in? There was no answer. But as I put my hand on a table to steady myself, I, I felt something. It was a candle stump. With a gasp of relief, I took it up and lighted it. Huh. Now I could see a little... One by one, I tried the bedrooms. They were dusty and unused. The furniture covered, the mattresses rolled up on the beds. They were all alike. Until I opened the last door. Instantly, I knew this was it. I smelled the perfume. Only now I recognized it, understood why it was unpleasant to me. It was the smell of a hospital, of chloroform. And there was the woman, her dark fur coat wrapped around her. Her jewels just showing at the neck. And she was stretched out on the bed, motionless. Instantly, I... I knew she was dead. In the next instant, I thought I would go mad. The blood on her face was congealing. Her skin was cold. I knew then that she'd been dead for an hour at least. And that what I saw in the street was not real. This was the shock that Dr. Henry had warned me to avoid. And what happened then? Well, I... I heard the door open up downstairs. Someone came in. The one she'd been expecting, no doubt. And suddenly I, I realized the... the danger of my being found there beside a woman who had obviously been murdered. Well, I slipped into another bedroom, and when he went into that room with her, I slipped out and crept downstairs. I stumbled and he heard me, and I came out. I ran down and out into the fog, into the street, and away. How long I ran or where, I don't know. When I was exhausted, I stopped. And then you came and found me. Well, what do you think? A tall tale, isn't it? Yes. Strange, but not incredible. I see no reason to disbelieve anything you've told me. Things equally remarkable, equally incredible, happen every day in a big city. I know from personal experience. Oh, I could give you many instances. But the woman, I saw her, and yet she was already dead. Such things are hard to explain. Perhaps cannot be explained, except, of course, your mind in its present state may still play tricks on you. Perhaps you saw a woman in the fog and followed her. You may have missed her and only thought you saw her going to that house. But what about the dead woman? She was real enough. Perhaps, perhaps not. She, too, may have been just fantasy. You may never have left the street. No. No, I'm sure of that, at least. I must believe it. She was real, and the man who came up the stairs was real. If I didn't believe that, I think I should go mad. Yes, perhaps that is important. Then, let me see. Have you any proof of what you saw? Something, perhaps, that you carried away with you? None. But wait, I left something there. My hat. 
I left it on the bed beside her body. My initials were in it. And so if it was all real, I shall be getting a visit from the police one day soon. Perhaps. And then I'll know. And I'll be charged with murder. I don't think so. You think the police would believe this fantastic story? As I told you, many strange things happen in a city like this. For instance, I knew of a similar case many years ago. Strangely similar case. Almost a coincidence. Would you like to hear it? I... Yes, I I suppose so. It happened during the last war. A colleague of mine, a surgeon now dead, married a charming girl, young and beautiful. He was wealthy and they lived comfortably for many years. They seemed happy together. Then came the war and he went overseas. His income was stopped, of course. The big house closed. His wife found life not so pleasant as before. And somehow she blamed her new hardships on him. You see, she was devoid of imagination without any power for sacrifice. But she was still young and beautiful. The inevitable young man came along to console her. He was rich. They planned to go off somewhere. Only by chance, the husband came back from overseas suddenly... Just in the nick of time. Well, he should have let her go. He was well rid of her, I'd say. Well rid of her, yes. Only he decided to make the riddance final. He decided to kill her and her lover. You see, he loved her. He planned the time and place carefully. They met, he knew, in the big house, now closed. He waited for them there. The plan failed, however, in one important detail. She came at the appointed time, but without her lover. She found death waiting for her. Completely painless death. But the lover did not come. The door had been left open for him. The house was deserted and it was a foggy night like tonight. But he did not come. Instead, a stranger came. I... And where was the... Surgeon, all this time. Waiting outside, concealed in the fog. He saw the man go in, and he followed him to kill him. But the man was a stranger. He came in by chance, like you, to shelter from the fog. I think that I should... Why, uh, what is the matter, sir? Well, I... I really must be going. Oh, of course, if you wish. Thank you for your kindness and hospitality. Oh, it's been a pleasure, young man. I enjoyed your story... Although I confess I expected one a little different. Uh, Your coat. Thank you. I'll walk with you to the door and give you the directions. Ah, you're in luck. I think the fog's lifting a bit. Doctor, may I ask? Your friend, the surgeon, was he ever caught? Ah, that's the part of the story I don't know. He was clever enough so that I doubt it. Unless he told somebody, made a confession. I see. And even so, unless that other person had some proof. Oh, by the way, you you can't walk about in the fog without a hat. Here, uh, it's an extra one of mine. You needn't trouble to return it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I went out of his consulting room with a hat on my head. In ten minutes, I was at the tube station. It was only there that I permitted myself to take off the hat and look at it. It was my own. The hat I had left on the bed beside the dead woman. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Confession by Algernon Blackwood. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel. With Bill Conrad as O'Reilly, Ramsey Hill as the doctor, and Peggy Weber as the woman in the fog. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Next week... You are trapped in the dark maze of the native quarter of Mozambique. A dead man at your feet, 
the police closing in around you, and beside you is a girl with whom you must escape. Next week, we escape with Percival Gibbon's fast-moving adventure, Second Class Passenger. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. You were trapped in the native quarter of Mozambique. Two dead men at your feet, the police closing in on you. And beside you, a sultry girl who offers you escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to Portuguese East Africa, to the fetid alleys and dangerous rooftops of Mozambique, in the highly incredible yet somehow thoroughly plausible adventure by Percival Gibbon, entitled The Second Class Passenger. That's me, Ronald A. Dawson, second-class passenger. Oh, I could have afforded first-class by pinching a little here and there, but nobody back at Rawson's department store in Cedar Rapids will ever know. The important thing is they're saying, Ronald Dawson in drapery is taking a cruise around the world. And then there's really very little difference in the accommodations. And the second-class passengers are every bit as interesting as the first-class crowd. Take Miss Patterson, for instance. You'd look far to find a more charming, likable, altogether uh, desirable young lady. Just the life of the party. We've gotten to be quite good friends by the time our crew was put in at Mozambique. Although the competition was always stiff, I can tell you. There were times I wish those other two, Jones and Twitchell, had missed the boat somewhere along the line. Well, we've still a good couple of hours before we sail. Oh, about a ride in one of these native carriages, Miss Patterson. Oh, dear, do you think they'd be clean? Personally, I doubt it. Although I don't know as I should care too much now. That woozo made me so woozy. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, great stuff, woozo. It would take a Greek to think up a drink like that. Or to drink it. (laughs) (laughs) American gentlemen like to buy pictures? Uh, No, no. Very interesting pictures. Take a look. Oh. Uh, no, go away. You know, we might do the fort, though. The uh, guidebook says it's the main point of interest. Now, let's see. 
Uh, built by the Portuguese in 1600. Oh, dear, never mind the statistics. I dare say the fort would be as dreary as the rest of the place. Oh, yes. Mozambique's not at all like what you'd imagine uh, Mozambique to be like. No. <laughs> well, it's a one-horse town, all right. Main Street and a couple of alleys. Oh, and it's so dirty. You know you'd think they do something about it in this day and age. Uh, oh, I'd like to buy fine knives. No. Field point. Look, all fine work. Him belong to big Tanganyika chief. I said no. Maybe someday one need fine sharp knife. No. Now get out. (laughs) What did I need a knife for? (laughs) To protect yourself from the savage natives, old man. (laughs) All you'd have to do is call a policeman. He isn't doing anything else. You see him? Look at him out in the center of the street directing traffic like he was at the corner of State and Madison. The traffic consists of two donkeys and an ox cart. It will be a relief to get back on board ship and have a nice hot bath. Yes, and real American food instead of that greasy fried octopus we had for lunch at that Greek place. Oh, my, weren't they awful? That's part of the broadening experience of travel. Yes, yes, I (laughs) suppose so. Like that cute idol that I bought. I can't wait to show that to the girls at the bank. You know, oh, dear, Mr. Dawson. Yes, Miss Patterson? Where's my idol? Uh... Why, I, I I thought Jones had it, oh, or Twitchell. Well. Oh, not me, old man. Well, you insisted on carrying it for Miss Patterson, don't you remember? Oh, dear, I, I must have left it back at the Greek restaurant. I'm so sorry. Oh, I did so want that idol. Don't you think you could go back for it, Mr. Dawson? Well, yes, of course. I, but I, I wonder if I'll have time before the boat sails. Oh, I'm sure you will, if you hurry. Certainly, old man, you've got more than an hour yet. You're sure? Oh, yes. The steward told me. Then I'll go at once. Oh, that's kind of you, my dear Mr. Dawson. Now, mind you, don't miss the boat. (laughs) Well, I'll try not to. Uh Why, chances are I'll catch up with you before you've reached the landing stage. Fine. We'll wait for you till the very last I could have throttled that supercilious Jones insisting I had time. I knew there was time, but I had no desire to run off after a heavy bronze curio and leave Jones and Twitchell alone with Miss Patterson. She was too nice a person, and, oh, they were such dreadful bores. Yes, and I suspected them of being phonies, too. But there was no helping it now, so I made my way back up the main street toward Lazarus' restaurant, where we'd had our indigestible Greek lunch. Somehow, this main street of Mozambique looked different now in the quick African twilight. The little saloons and the sidewalks were filling with men of every nationality and color. Many of them wore knives thrust through the belts of their thin white suits. Knives that looked as sharp as the glances they threw at me. I, I must confess, I, I felt a little strange and unwanted. Then, lounging toward me in the crowd, I saw a large woman, clad in a sort of burnous, but her brown face unveiled. She had very wide lips, and they were painted scarlet. And from the corner of her mouth, she dangled a cigarette. Her eyes were heavily mascarated, and when she looked down at me, terror seized me. I was afraid she would speak to me. I didn't know what I should do or say, but she didn't. Instead, she laughed. And the way the loiterers responded, I was convinced that they were laughing with her at me. I must say I was relieved to reach the entrance of Lazarus' restaurant. Good evening, sir. A little dinner for the gentleman? Uh, no, no, thank you. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I just lunched here today. Very good. Excellent meal. Thank you, sir. I, um, I, I left a curio here, probably under the table. Have you found it? A curio? Yes, um, some sort of a brass god. It was wrapped in newspaper. Oh, yes. We got him right here for you. Oh, that's good. That's fine. I... I'm in a hurry to get back to the boat. Yes, you better hurry. Pretty soon she rain. Rain? Why, there's not a cloud in the sky. You see, every night she rain in Mozambique. Well, you ought to know, but I still doubt it. Oh, uh, here, buy yourself a cigar. Thank you, sir, thank you. You hurry quick before she rain. Don't worry about me. I'm not made of sugar, you know. In just the few moments I'd been inside the restaurant, night had fallen, that sudden nightfall of the tropics. I looked overhead and clearly saw the stars. Thinking what a bad weather forecast of the Greek was, I tucked Miss Patterson's silly bronze idol under my arm and started off for the waterfront. 
I hadn't gone 200 yards when a large, warm drop of rain splattered on the back of my neck. Then two more on my hat. And before I could take cover under an arch, it was raining like, like Iowa in April. It didn't look like it would let up soon, and I wondered if there might not be a shorter way to the waterfront than the long walk down the main street and then the long way to the left along the docks. Surely one of these alleys that turned off to the left would lead me directly to the harbor and the landing stage. So I left the protection of the archway and turned into the alley at my left. Four steps from the main street and I... I was engulfed in darkness, wading through filth and mud over my ankles. But I was certain that I was on the right track, so I walked on and ran straight into a blank wall. I turned to retrace my steps, but I could see no lights anywhere. I... I felt along the wall and until it gave into another alley, followed it to another blank wall, and thence into another one. And now I knew I was lost. And now it, it began to rain in earnest. It pelted, it stamped, it whipped, it stung, it clashed. In a moment I was drenched to the skin. If it was dark before, it was now black as a tomb. I struggled onward because it was too terrible to stand still and feel myself being beaten to the earth by the sheer weight of the rain. I don't know how far I walked through those foul and fetid passageways, nor for how long. But at last, feeling my way around a corner, I saw a slit of light, a horizontal flicker beckoning beneath the door, and I heard voices. I lifted the bronze idol and rapped on the door with it, and the voices stopped. What do you want? Uh, I, I've lost my way. I'm, I'm wet through, and I, I don't know where I am. Please let me in. <laughs> Please, let me in. Of course you may come in. You aren't exactly who we expected, but come in. Come in. <laughs> I, I walked into a room that was unfurnished, save for a littered table and some chairs and, and a gaudy picture of the Virgin that hung on the wall. On each side of it was a sconce in which a slovenly candle guttered. A woman was perched on the corner of the table, a heavy shawl over her head. Under it, the dark face propped in the fork of her hand glowed sullenly, and her bare white arm was, was like a menacing thing. In a chair near her, a grossly fat man was huddled, scowling heavily under thick, fair brows, while the other man, he who had opened the door, stood smiling. The woman laughed softly and pointed to the image dangling in my hand. What is that? I, I beg your pardon? That parcel you are carrying. Parcel? Oh, it, it, it's a curio, an idol of some sort. A friend of mine left it at the restaurant this afternoon. And you? You are a tourist from the cruise boat? Uh, yes, yes, that's right. How did you know? What are you doing here so late? And so wet. The boat sailed soon. I know. I, I was trying to take a shortcut to the landing stage. I, I got lost somehow. I came ashore with some friends from the second class. I, I left them to come back and fetch this idol, and uh, <laughs> here I am. Give the young man a chair, Egon. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. But I must go on as soon as the rain stops. If you can direct it me to... It will not I... stop for a uh... while yet. You may as well wait here. Yes. We may be able to provide some entertainment for our second-class tourist. As soon as your friends arrive, my dear. Friends? The police are not my friends. You led them to us? Would you walk about with your knives forever while I take all the risks? Risks? <laughs> Seven months you have done what you willed, untouched. I bought you freedom for seven months. With smiles and love. Now you take your turn. One uses a knife, one goes to prison. One month, three months, six months. Who knows? You could have talked with the prefect of police again. Again and again. And for what? Life is not spending money. One pays for living, my friend, with work. Sometimes with jail. I have paid. Now is your turn. You could have helped us once more. 
Only once more and we could have been out of the sewer and on the coast of Lorenzo Marx or Cape Town. Why didn't you? Why didn't you help us once more? Yes, why? Always you say once more, once more. Now there is no more. You are a sheep pig, a defiled and debauched I beg your pardon, sir. What? That's no way to speak to a lady. What? (laughs) I'm serious. I don't like to hear such language used to a lady. I must ask you to apologize. What the devil have you got to do with this? You just came in out of the rain from the second class. Please, please, don't fight with him. There's trouble enough already. But what the devil right has he got to come in here and tell me? Yesterday you stabbed the Egyptian. What of it? Don't stab this one. You want the police to find you here with a corpse? A corpse? What does it matter how the police find us? We wait for them because we have no choice. You put them on us. We should do away with you. Why do you lie? Even to yourself. Why must you hide your own blame behind my skirts? Great mother of heaven, you are neither man nor beast. You are just... Don't go on. Don't you dare say it. Uh, there. You are just a salmak. No one says that to me and leaves. He's got a knife. Salmak. Salmak. No, you don't. Stand back or I'll brain you with this idol. You'll do what? You'll think I carry only a knife. Pig! Dog, I waited for this! Uh. He forgot. I carry a knife. Oh. Oh. Look what I did to him with this bronze idol. Horrible. Horrible. It makes a good weapon, your idol. It was a grand blow. A king's blow. You cannot help him now. I, I, I've killed a man with this little curio. And you've killed another with your knife. Two men murdered. Oh, I must get back to the ship. You must come with me. <laughs> to the ship? Oh, la la. You think I'd be welcome in the second class? Well, I, I don't know. But we... we must go somewhere. The police will be here any minute. The police? Yes. Come. He's not raining so hard now. Quiet. It's the police. Oh. They have come for those two. They will be on both sides of us. Here, hold my hand. Yes. Stand perfectly still. I will tell you when it's safe to move. Now. They are all around us so they won't hear us. Come. Now. Where are we going? We are escaping. But if you know from what we are escaping, you would not care where. Hurry. Hang on to my hand. And hurry. They have found the bodies. Now they are after us. What will we do? There is a door nearby. We must find it. Or feel. Feel along the wall. Here. Her father. It must be here. Yes, here it is. Push. Push it in. It won't budge. It's bolted from inside. You must push it in. It's the only way. Here. Uh, hold this idol for me. I have it. Now. Not yet. Hit it again. It's giving. Once more. Good. My friend, my great, strong friend. <laughs> Up these stairs now, quickly. Where are we going now? To the roof. Wait. Huh? The rain has stopped. Yes. The stars are coming out. There is your ship out in the harbor. I must get to it. Listen. You hear them? We are not safe yet. Over the wall to the next roof. Hurry. Now, over to the next parapet. Up you go. Are you all right? Come up quietly. Yes. What's that down there? A tent? Yes. People are asleep. You must walk like a rat. Who are they? Who knows? 
If they see us, they will think you have come after the women. Oh, but we could say... There would be nothing to say. Someone's crawling out of the tent. A man with a sheet wrapped around him. He's coming this way. Yes. Why doesn't he see us? His eyes are clouded with sleep, perhaps. If he sees us? It will be too late. <laughs> then he won't. There. And there. Well, that took the fight out of him. Take this, my little knife. Just a prick, and he is quite safe. Oh, no, he's still enough now. He won't harm us. I, I, uh, I really did him in, didn't I? It was splendid. With only the bare hands to take an armed man. Armed? I didn't know he was armed. Of course. Of that you may always be sure. Look, there in his loincloth. A dagger. At least six inches. Yes. You are truly magnificent, my friend. You are a man. You are a woman. Then? Wonderful woman. I was wondering when you would kiss me. When you took offense at what the Russian said to me, I knew you would. But I wondered how soon. Yes, yes, I suppose I knew too, in a way. At least I thought how much I'd like to... But I wouldn't have had the courage before all this, I suppose. Courage? Your courage is of the lion. Your strength is of the great bull of Swahili. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I wonder if we're far from the landing stage now. I, I mustn't miss my boat, you know. You want to go back to the second class? Well, naturally. That's what I was trying to do when I knocked on your door. Goodness, I've missed my dinner as it is. <laughs> missed your dinner? Yes, that is so. But haven't you gained something else? What? Me. Look. Look at me. Is it nothing, friend, that you have saved me for yourself? Uh, yeah, but... You conquer men as though you were bred on the roofs of Mozambique. You fight like a hero. A rush, a blow, a tumble, and you have them lying at your feet. Are you not glad that it was all for this, for me? Kiss me. Uh, I'd, I'd fight. I, I'd fight for you as long as... as long as there was anyone to fight. You would. I know you would. You lead on. Where? Wherever you will. <laughs> Come. Of course, I, I don't expect you to believe this. Looking back, I'm still unsure it really happened to me. It's, it's as though I dreamed it. Well, I, I don't know how many roofs we crossed after that. A, a dozen, perhaps. Maybe 20. It was mad, I know, but I must have surrendered completely to the wild spirit of the African coast. I didn't seem to see the great ship lying out in the harbor, her, her lights blinking with the comforts of civilization. All my senses were focused on this slim, breathtaking figure leading me across the rooftops to a shadowy destination in which only one thing was certain. She would be there. I suppose in that moment, armed only with the bloody bronze idol, I was invincible. At 
last she led me down a creaking wooden stair that hung precariously on the sheer side of a house, and once more we were in the mud of a gloomy alley. Even the way she slid her arm along mine and softly grasped my hand filled me with greater power than I had ever known. Hand in hand we made our way down the alley and out into a little square where a night breeze rustled in the palms and smelled of the sea. And across the way, a, a dim light showed through a big open door. The little church of San Sebastian. Oh. The police. After all this? No, tenta escapar. Okay. E que você quer comigo? Eu tenho ordem de prendê-la. Por quê? Eu não fiz nada. Veremos. Me acompanhe agora. Vamos. Vamos, capitão. Devia haver outra maneira de resolver isto. Esta vez não pega mal. Você está presa. What's the matter with him? What's he want? He says he won't let me go. <laughs> the devil he won't. What's he want you for? Oh, oh my friend. This little policeman. They always arrest me when they get a chance. It is tiresome. Uh, listen, copper. Scram, see? Take it on the lamb. Take a powder. I said scram. Uh. Run. Run before he can get to his feet. No, not that way. Into the church. The sanctuary. My magnificent one, you fear no one. You fight for me, so long as there is anyone to fight. Yes. Now there will always be someone to fight. They will never leave us alone. Will they follow us in here? These police might do anything. But I know one door they will not dare follow us through. What is that? Come, this way. Here. This door. First, I must wrap my skirts close. Now, come cleanly through the middle. Do not, please do not rub the walls as you come. There, we are safe for a while. They will not follow us through that door. Why not? It was the door of the lepers. The door of the... It is all right. We didn't touch the portals. See, down the alley are the lights of the waterfront. Yes. Oh, where do we go now? Oh, we have a little time now to breathe the clean air of the harbor. And then I know a little place where someone is coming. Step back in the shadow until they have passed. It certainly was something to write home about. Listen. What is it? The idol. I must return the idol. No, don't. My friend, this is the greatest danger of all. Goodbye. Don't go. Magnificent one. Don't go. I must. Goodbye. <laughs> Hello there. Darcy. <laughs> uh, got here before you, it appears. Yes. Did you find the idol? Oh, yes, but uh, for a moment there, I was afraid I should miss the boat. Oh, uh -huh. I say, old man, you're a bit disheveled. Uh, yes, I got caught in the rain. <gasps> and my idol. Oh, Mr. Dawson, you've got it all dirty. Yes, it is a bit must. I well, dropped it once or twice, I fear. Well, I think that was clumsy of you. Oh, nothing. A little soap and water won't put to rights, I dare say. Well, maybe. Well, we'd better hurry along. I'd hate to have to spend any more time in this dreadful place. Oh, so should I. Yes. There, there. There's the whistle. Now, that's the last warning, no doubt. Well, come on. Come on, everybody. I'm not coming. Oh, Dawson, don't stand there mooning. We'll miss the boat. Uh, yes. Yes, and... Just a moment. Say, is there someone standing there in the shadow of the alley? I'm not sure. I thought for a That's moment... funny. I could have sworn I saw you wave goodbye to someone. Perhaps I did. Goodbye to Mozambique, to adventure and, and romance. Oh, that's good. That's very good. Adventure, romance, in this pest hole? 
Twitchell, what would you say if I told you I had just killed a man, fled over the rooftops of the city, made love to a beautiful woman, fought the police, escaped through the leper's gate... Oh, great heavens, Dawson. I'd say you had the wildest imagination I'd ever heard of. Nothing like that ever happens to a second-class passenger. No. No, I suppose you're right. Nothing like that ever happens to a second-class passenger. Except in dreams. Uh, come on, Twitchell. We'll miss the boat. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, has tonight brought you The Second Class Passenger by Percival Gibbon, adapted for radio by Mr. Robeson, with Harry Bartell as Dawson, Jeanette Nolan as The Woman, and Kathy Lewis as Miss Patterson. Original music conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhrer. Next week... You are isolated on a remote plantation in the crawling Amazon jungle, and an immense army of ravenous ants is closing in on you. Swarming in to eat you alive. A deadly black army from which there is no escape. Next week, we escape with Carl Stevenson's terrifying story, Leinengen versus the Ants. Good night, then, until this same time next week when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>